Well, last week we started this series titled Filters. Filters. If you have a smartphone, and, and most of us do nowadays, you probably have on your smartphone multiple apps that allow you to add filters to your pictures. And some of these filters can, can get uh, pretty interesting. In fact, now you can even have a you even have geo filters based on your location. And a filter can really change the appearance of your picture. It can make average looking things look pretty amazing or, or even average looking people look pretty stunning. Now, this series is called Filters because it's about temptation. And temptation always, always, always comes to us with filters applied. Temptation makes sin look great. It makes sin look appealing. It makes sin look irresistible. Temptation promises pleasure, but then it delivers pain. And so we've got to learn to look past the filters and to see temptation for what it really is. The purpose of temptation is to uh, place a wedge between us and God. The purpose of temptation is to drive us away from God and to eventually, if possible, eventually destroy our lives. But initially, temptation is very appealing because of the filters. So we began last week by looking at the story of the first temptation in the Garden of Eden where Satan appeared to Eve as a serpent. A serpent that didn't scare her away. You know, she wasn't scared by the serpent. It wasn't uh, the way we see snakes today. Big snakes, serpents. They scare us. They scare us away. It wasn't, it wasn't that way in, in the, uh, uh, at creation. The serpent was not a scary creature. And so he was able to come right up to her and to talk to her and to tempt her. And the serpent convinced her that disobeying God was in her best interest. So let's go back and read this. We read this last week. We, we drew a few things out, but I want to go back to this passage again today. Genesis 3, beginning with verse 1. Verse 1 reads like this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpents, we may eat from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. And that last phrase, you must not touch it, was actually added. God hadn't said that, but Eve added that. So verse four the serpent said to the woman, you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Last week's message was titled, Satan's Strategies. And we looked at some of Satan's strategies when he tempts us. 
I spoke last week about how Satan is always crafty and deceptive. He's never straightforward. He doesn't appear before us and say, I am the devil. I'm here to ruin your life because you're God's creation and I hate God. I'm going to ruin your life. He doesn't do that. In fact, Paul says that Satan appears as an angel of light. When he appears to tempt, to tempt us, he looks very appealing, very inviting, irresistible. He's very crafty. He's very deceptive because every temptation is an attempt to deceive us and to destroy us. Every temptation is an attempt to either do it at that time or to get us on the road to where that happens to us. An attempt to deceive us and destroy us. That's what it is. But because temptation comes with filters applied, it never looks that way. It always looks very innocent, very appealing, very benign. I also told you last week that Satan always challenges the authority of God. Satan didn't begin by saying, uh, listen up, Eve, God is flat out wrong. Eventually, he called God a liar. But initially, he just asked this innocent question. He planted this suggestion. He planted this doubt in the form of a question. Is it really true that God said you couldn't eat from any tree of the garden. Well, that wasn't what God had said. But he asked that question in that way to confuse her, to throw her off her game, and it worked. He disoriented her. That, that question threw her off her game, and it disoriented her enough that her response was incorrect. Her response was, well, God didn't say that, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you can't even touch it. See, she was stunned. She was disoriented. She was off her game. And so she started adding something to God's word. And so that's what Satan does. He, he disorients us when he attacks us. He has, he's clever. He's deceptive. He has many strategies. So today I want to continue to look at this story. And I want us to learn some additional powerful truths that will help us overcome temptation. So what can we learn what can we learn from the story of Eve being tempted? The first thing we learn here today is that it's not a sin to be tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. There are people who feel very guilty because they're tempted. Temptation is not a sin. In fact, Martin Luther, the, the great reformer, the Protestant reformer, who started the Protestant Reformation, and by the way, this is the 500th year of the Protestant Reformation. The church had lost its way, and God used this, this man, this theologian, to get back on, on track. And so Martin Luther once said, you know, it's, uh, you, he said, you, you can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can't stop them from building a nest in your hair. So he was saying, you can't stop from being tempted. Everybody is tempted. Temptation is not a sin. Eve was a perfect, think about this, Eve was a perfect human being. Yet, she was tempted. She was in a perfect, sinless environment. Yet, she was tempted. She had regular face-to-face -face communication with God. Think about that. Yet, she was tempted. We're all tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. And you know who else was tempted? It was Jesus. 
Jesus, the Son of God Himself, was tempted. Hebrews 4.15 reads like this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So even Jesus was tempted. The difference, the writer to the Hebrew says is, he, he didn't sin, but he empathizes with us. He, he understands, he, he understands our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way. Now, does that mean that he was, he was tempted, he faced the exact same temptations that we face now? Well, maybe not the exact same temptations because the culture is different and sometimes the temptations change. But the force of the temptations were just uh, like what we face today. In fact, I would say the, the force of the temptations, the fierceness of, of the temptations were even worse for Jesus and for us because we eventually give in and we, and we sin so many times. It doesn't have to be that way. And, and yes, we can overcome Temptation, we, we are called to be victorious over temptation, but oftentimes we give in to temptation. So we don't really face the, the force of the temptation to its maximum effect because we give in before the temptation gets that bad. He, Jesus never sinned. That meant the temptation kept getting worse. He, he, he faced a force and a fierceness that we don't understand. And yet he didn't sin. But the point is that even he was tempted. Jesus, the son of God. See, Satan is so crafty that if he can't get us to fall for the temptation, he'll try to get us to feel guilty just for being tempted. He uses false guilt. He wants us to feel condemned. That's what he wants. Let me tell you, condemnation comes from the devil, not from God. Remember many years ago, my dad was a, was a pastor, and many years ago, he uh, obviously he was still alive. He was still in the pastorate, and there was a a young mother who came to see him, came to talk to him, there at the church, and uh, in fact, my parents invited her into to our home. They 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 lived. I happened to be visiting at the time, but they lived next to the church in the parsonage. So she was there. I remember seeing her there in the living room, just kind of sitting there quietly with her children. They were young, well-behaved children. But she was there for a while, and she wanted to talk to my dad, and then she did. And my dad said, well, why don't you talk to her a little bit? I, I, I talked to her. And her issue, her issue was that she felt so guilty because she thought she had committed the unpardonable sin. Her issue was like, I committed the unpardonable sin. God will never forgive me now. And she was under this guilt, this condemnation. And I know my dad talked to her. Of course, she was a lot wiser than, than I was. I prayed. I said, God, what did I tell her? And I remember the, the, the thing that I, I told her was, was this. I said, look, just the, the very fact that you're even concerned about this tells me you haven't committed the unpardonable sin. Because there is an unpardonable sin in the Bible. It's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. But I told her... Somebody who would commit this sin wouldn't care. Somebody who would commit the unpardonable sin of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, they're not going to care. They're not going to be concerned about their soul. They're off doing their own thing. The last thing they, they care about is pleasing God. The fact that you're here and you're concerned about this tells me you haven't committed this sin. But she just, she, she, couldn't, she couldn't get that. It just, you know, she couldn't grasp it. She was just down. She was depressed. And as far as I know, when she left, she was still 
that way. But see, that's the work of the devil. He wants us to feel guilty. He wants us to be under condemnation. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And so it's not a sin to be tempted. Don't let the enemy, because you're going through temptation, make you feel like like you've committed a sin. Now, that doesn't mean that it shouldn't sober us up if we, if we somehow place ourselves in a situation where we know we're going to be tempted. If, we know you're gonna, if you know you're going to be tempted in a certain area and you allow yourself to, to walk into that situation, then that's not very smart. We should feel bad about this. We, we should feel like, okay, that was dumb. You know, we, we need to be smart. We need to be village, uh, vigilant, not vigilant, vigilant. We need to be careful. We need to be careful. But it's not a, a, a temptation, it's not a sin to be tempted. Which takes me to my second point. When I say we need to be smart, we need to be vigilant, we need to be careful. That takes me to my second point, which is this. We are never above temptation. None of us are ever above temptation. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, So, in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. If you think you're standing firm, that speaks to pride. If you think you're standing firm, that speaks to self-confidence. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. If anybody had a reason to be self-confident, to think she was standing firm, it was Eve. Because Eve was God's prized creation. The moment that God created Eve, He stopped creating in the book of Genesis. He created the heavens and the earth. He created Adam. That wasn't good enough. He created Eve. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. She was, and I say this jokingly, they both were, man and woman here, Adam and Eve, were God's prized creation. But Satan didn't respect that. He didn't care. He didn't hesitate to tempt Eve. In fact, because she was God's prized creation, she had a target on her forehead. She had a target on her back. Satan was out to get her. So many years ago, I was preaching on a Sunday morning. And uh, I was looking at, actually we were, uh, we were singing during the time of praise and worship. I was at the keyboard. And I looked up and I saw a young man. It was her husband, actually. I saw a young man who was wearing a shirt. He came in with his parents, wearing a shirt, just a t-shirt. And the t-shirt had a picture of, of a deer. And he, you know, the deer was kind of standing up. You know, he'd been given human uh, features. So the deer standing up. There's another deer, his buddy. And right here, the deer had a target, just the target. And the deer was saying to his friend, I have a bummer of a birthmark. You know, it's a target. And I had to laugh. I'm, I'm, here I am trying to worship God. I looked up and I saw that shirt. Bummer of a birthmark. Oh, yeah, it's funny. We have a target because we're God's creation. And we must all guard against self-confidence. Now, don't make the mistake of Peter, the disciple of Jesus, who said to Jesus, everybody else might abandon you. Everybody else might desert you. But I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Guess who was the only one of the 12 disciples to deny Jesus? So forcefully tell people, I don't even know who he is about Jesus. To, uh, 
to curse and say, I don't know him. The one who had said, I'll never leave you. They all might leave you, but I'm different. So guard against self-confidence. What does self-confidence look like? What does self-confidence look like? Self-confidence looks like a lack of prayer. Self-confidence is prayerlessness. Because when you're not praying regularly, when you're not seeking God regularly, that's you saying, I can handle life by myself. That's self-confidence. That's thinking you're standing firm. When, when you can go through days and weeks and months without ever calling on God, that's self-confidence. Self-confidence is when you consistently prioritize other things above, above God's things. When you can skip regular church attendance, which is taught by Scripture, for things that aren't going to help you or your family. Self-confidence is when you don't teach your children to follow God and to serve God, but you're more than willing to teach them to be better in sports or better in music, whatever other interests they might have. And there's nothing wrong with these interests. Nothing wrong with those things. Until they get placed ahead of our commitment to God and of our spiritual growth. The temptation to place those things before God always comes with filters applied. Oh, if I can just get her into this program, get him into this program. Oh, the future looks bright. That's a temptation to place things before God. That's self-confidence. There's another word for self-confidence, and that word is pride. And the Bible says in Proverbs 16, 18, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit or a proud spirit before a fall. That's the same thing that, that Paul warns about when he says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Because pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And the problem with self-confidence is that it leads to a spiritual falling away. Guard against self-confidence. You're never above temptation. You're never above temptation. I remember reading a story many years ago of a pastor. Uh, this is really before mega churches popped up. Now mega church is a church of 2,000 attenders or more. And they're all over the place. And I thank God that people are being reached by these large churches. But many years before that, there was a church... In Seoul, Korea, it was act, it's an action in the Assemblies of God Church. And the, uh, the pastor of the church was, uh, the church back then was probably about 400,000. That was like 900,000 last time I checked. It's a huge church. So the pastor of the church one time said in, in a sermon uh, about how when he travels, he never travels alone. He always travels with his wife. And if his wife can't go, he'll take a couple of his, uh, of his trusted elders to go with him. He says, because I know how Satan is and I know how he tempts us. And so I protect myself. I, I put protection around me. And that showed me that he was a humble man who, who wasn't going to be confident. Like, I'm the pastor of the largest church in the world. I, I can travel however I want to travel. Because you're never above temptation. So it's not a sin to be tempted. We are never above temptation. And the third thing I, wanna, I want us to find out or to, to learn here, I should say, is that there is always a way out of temptation. There is always a way out of temptation. 
Here's what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, this is a a very interesting and powerful verse. And it's a comforting verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. That God will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. Interestingly enough, many people get confused between this verse. And there's another verse where Paul talks uh, about how he faced a situation that was beyond his ability to bear. So you may think, okay, which one is it, Paul? You seem to be contradicting yourself. No, there's no contradiction because in the other passage, he's talking about the problems we go through. When people say, people say sometimes, God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, that's not actually true. And that's not biblical. In fact, Paul says that God gave him more than he could handle. And the reason God gave him that was that so he could call on God. Because the reality is is that if God never gives us more than we can handle, then why do we need God if we can handle it? God often gives us, Paul wrote, more than we have the ability to handle. And the purpose for that, Paul says, is so we can call on God. So we can say, God, I I can't handle this. I don't have a way out of this problem. I don't have a way out. I need your help. And God provides a miracle. But this verse is not talking about our problems. It's talking about temptation. And when it comes to temptation, God will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. That's different. And I love what he says. When you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. When you are tempted, when you are tempted, what does God do? He also provides. What does he provide? He provides a way out of that temptation. What I, hope you understand, what I hope you'll understand today is that every time there is a temptation, there's also a way out. Every time you're tempted, God provides a way out of that temptation. Every single time you're tempted to do something that is sinful, that is harmful to you and harmful to others, or something that hurts the heart of God, something that is, that is disobedience to God's word, there is always a way out. And God has provided that way out what was Eve's way out probably she could have she could have gone to God immediately the the moment that the serpent first talked to her she could have turned away and and turned to God she didn't even consider what does God think of this maybe I should take it up to God maybe I should ask him she should have gone to God immediately and when we're tempted At that first temptation, that first sight and sound and feeling and passion of temptation, we need to go to God and say, God, show me the way out of this. When you're tempted, the deeper you go into the temptation, the more difficult it becomes to call on God. At the beginning of the temptation, it was just Eve listening. And she could have said, well, it won't hurt for me to just hear him out. Did God really say, okay, I got an answer for him. I'll, I'll, just, I'll, I'll just go ahead and start this conversation with him. And so she kept getting deeper into it until, until eventually Satan said, okay, I'm going to just tell you the truth. God is lying to you. 
God is holding out on you, Eve. He doesn't want you to become like him, knowing the difference between good and evil. He's holding out on you. At that point, at that point, when she had heard him and, and his words began to take effect, verse 6 says that she saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, was pleasing to the eye, and also was desirable for gaining wisdom. At that point, desire took over. See, at the beginning of the temptation, she didn't have a desire for the fruit. But by the time Satan got through with her, desire took over. So now she's like, okay, this, is, this looks really good. This is going to be really helpful. It's going to help me gain wisdom. It looks really appealing. And by the time that desire takes over, you can still call on God, but it's so much harder. The deeper you go into the temptation, the more difficult it becomes to call on God. Call on Him before the desire takes over. Call on Him before the passion takes over. He'll give you a way out. Call on Him even after the desire seems to be overwhelming. He'll give you a way out. Because that's part of His faithfulness. A lot of times we think about God's faithfulness and we say, yes, God is faithful to forgive us, and He is that. But He wants to give us a way out, so He doesn't have to forgive us for that sin. He's faithful to give us a way out. Every temptation you go through is an opportunity to call on God. Your fiercest temptation is an opportunity to depend on God. An opportunity to to say, okay, I'm really tempted to do this, but I'm going to trust that you're going to give me a way out. Look at it as an opportunity. A lot of times we see temptation as an opportunity to indulge ourselves, an opportunity to sin. But look at it as an opportunity to call on God, to depend on God. I mentioned Martin Luther a few minutes ago, the father of the Reformation. In his writings, in his teachings, he wrote something that is very intriguing. Very interesting. He wrote that to be a good theologian, you need three things. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to translate that into our world. Because we're not theologians. But these things apply to us as well. So I'm going to say, to be close to God. To be close to God, you need three things. Martin Luther said. You need prayer. You need meditation. And you need temptation. You might say, what? Prayer, meditation, temptation. Now, when he talked about temptation, he, he was thinking of a broad concept uh, that include, includes our trials, our problems. So you might say we need problems, including temptation. Now, why would we need that to be close to God? I think I'd be closer to God if I didn't have any problems. No, my friend, you wouldn't. No. I think I'd be closer to God if I didn't go through temptation. No, you, you probably wouldn't. Because temptation is an opportunity to call on God and to depend on God and to get closer to God. That's why he, he would say, you need prayer, you need meditation, and you need temptation. You need prayer, you need meditation. You need, little, you need some problems in your life that seem a little bit overwhelming to be close to God. Because those things give us opportunities to depend on God, to call on Him, and to choose Him over our own. Self-satisfaction. So today, I want to invite you to call on God. Don't do what Eve did and try to handle this by yourself. Don't do that. 
colander. And you know what? And Eve wasn't the only one. Did you notice when we read this passage that Adam was right there with her? Adam? Instead of stepping in and protecting his wife, he was silent. He allowed her to be deceived. And then he also took part in the sin. What kind of man is that? What kind of man allows that to happen? But see, the story of Eve is the story of every woman because the word Eve simply means woman. The word Adam simply means man. So the story of Adam and Eve and their temptation and their sin is our story as well. And if we're cowardly like Adam was, or if we allow ourselves to be drawn into a temptation like Eve did, then we also will fail. And apart from God, we cannot overcome temptation. Apart from God, we don't have the strength to overcome temptation. So today, I want to just challenge you. If you don't know Jesus Christ in a personal way, with a, have a relationship with God through what Jesus did on the cross, then that's got to be your first step. You got to say, Lord, I give my heart to you. From this day forward, I will serve you because I can't handle life. I can't handle my problems by myself and I can't handle temptation by myself. I need you. So I want to invite you. If you've never given your life over to Jesus, if you've never given your life to God, then today you can do that. Stop trying to live by yourself. Stop trying to face your problems and your temptations by yourself. Turn your life over to Jesus. Turn your life over to Him. That's what I challenge you to do. God invites you to come to Him. God calls you to turn to Him. If you're already a follower of Christ, then turn to Him in the midst of your temptation. You're going to be tempted. Turn to Him. Look for the way out. Look for the way of escape. God has provided it for you. Look for the way out. And let every temptation be an opportunity for you to call on Him and to strengthen yourself in Him. Would you bow for prayer? Father, I thank You for, for Your invitation to come to You. And I'm so grateful that You give us a way out of temptation. I'm so grateful we don't have to be slaves to sin. We don't have to be slaves to temptation. You give us a way out. Today, Lord, we just want to turn to you. want to say, here I am, God. Forgive my sins. Forgive my sins. Cleanse my life. Purify my heart. Draw me toward you.
the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite you to stand. And I'd like for us, before we leave, I'd like for us to have a time of response. And I want you to heed the words of this song. Would you put the first verse up there, Alyssa, for us? Heed the words of this song. If this is you, are you hurting? Are you broken? Are you overwhelmed by your own sin? I want you to know Jesus is calling you right now. So as we sing this song again, I want to invite you. Can we just come? And I like this idea of stepping out, taking a step forward, because it's a physical thing that indicates a step we're taking in our hearts to just come and say God I need you I need you to forgive my sins I need you to draw me close to you I give my life to you Father so if that's you if you're tired of struggling you want to be a strong Christian you want to be a strong victorious follower of Christ as we sing this song I'm going to invite you let's, let's finish our service just spending some time seeking God up here today would you do that as we sing Give.